Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Gestalt therapy. Just as psychoanalysis, individual psychology, and person-centered therapy are associated with Freud, Adler, and Rogers, respectively, Gestalt therapy is most often identified with one man, Frederick Fritz Perls. However, Fritz Perls' abrasive and confrontational style, his emphasis on awareness and responsibility over contact and support, and his almost cult-like status in the 1960s, might have signaled the end of Gestalt as a therapeutic approach following his death in 1970, if not for the work of his collaborator and wife, Laura Pearls, and the writings of Miriam and Irving Polster. In today's lecture, I'll focus on some of the key concepts of Gestalt, the role of the therapist, the client's experience, and some of the innovative techniques attributed to Gestalt therapy. We'll end with a brief discussion of the applications of Gestalt, the contributions, and limitations of the approach. The Gestalt approach can best be summed up by the phrase, the most important moment in a person's life is right now. The most important thing for both the client and the therapist is to experience the here and now. So what I'd like you to do right now, regardless of where you are or what you're doing, is to notice what you are experiencing right now. Take a minute and notice what you're feeling in your body. Are your shoulders tense? Are your jaws clenched? Is your forehead relaxed? Are your hands cool to the touch? What emotions are you experiencing? Are you happy, sad, angry, scared, or are you numb? What thoughts are popping in and out of your mind? And take a minute and get grounded in the present, and then we'll continue with our exploration of Gestalt therapy. I hope that in the last minute you've become more aware of yourself. I don't want you to think about what those feelings, bodily sensations, or thoughts meant. I don't want you to intellectualize them. One of the key assumptions of Gestalt therapy is that talking about a feeling or a situation doesn't actually promote change. In fact, talking or intellectualizing distracts us from being able to change whatever situation we're in. Only by directly experiencing that feeling or, or bringing the situation into the present, only then are we able to make changes. Now, we can contrast this with person-centered therapy, which assumes that being present will enable people to gain insight into their lives, and through that insight, they'll be able to access solutions to their problems. In contrast, Gestalt therapy believes that awareness rather than insight is the key to making changes. In Gestalt therapy, the less we intellectualize, the less we analyze or think about our experience, the easier it is for us to become aware of the here and the now. When we're truly in the here and now, we're in the process of self-actualization. And it is through the process of self-actualization that meaningful change occurs. Actually, when I asked you to experience your thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations separately, I was artificially dividing your whole self, 
also known as the Gestalt, for the sake of an experiment. And Gestalt therapy believes that the whole self is greater than the sum of those parts. Just as the water that is created by combining two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen is greater than either hydrogen or oxygen alone, the self is greater than the sum of the feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations that you identified just a moment ago. When we are aware of ourselves and our environment, we can, as they say in Gestalt, make contact. Although the focus of Gestalt treatment is clearly on the present, Gestalt therapy does not ignore the past or the future. In Gestalt therapy, when the past is brought up in treatment, it is referred to as unfinished business. The idea is that when we do not fully experience ourselves in our environment, that is when we do not make contact, we can get stuck in the past or perseverate on the future. Take for example an adult client who is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. The Gestalt therapist would not ignore that past experience, but rather would focus on bringing the client's attention to how they are currently thinking, feeling, and experiencing the childhood abuse. Survivors of abuse often blame themselves or blame others for failing to protect them. And although we'll talk a bit more about Gestalt techniques in a moment, for right now, you can think about the Gestalt therapist Uh, using one of the classic Gestalt techniques of dialogue or the empty chair in the following way. The Gestalt therapist might ask the client to act out a dialogue between the person who feels responsible, that is, who's blaming themselves, or uh, the person who is to be blamed for the neglect that resulted in the abuse. Or the therapist might use the empty chair technique and have the client talk to the perpetrator as if he or she was in the room. An example of a Gestalt therapist addressing unfinished business can be found at the website gestalt.org. So while the Gestalt therapist acknowledges that people may focus on their past mistakes, they also recognize that people can worry about the future or engage in endless resolutions and plans. Most importantly, When people focus on the past or the future, they lose the power of the present. One of the concepts that I've mentioned a couple times so far is the idea of contact. Contact in Gestalt is simply when somebody interacts with nature and with other people without losing their individuality. Miriam Polster talked about contact as being a process. So rather than making contact as a permanent experience. We do it um, on occasion and we do it um, briefly. Contact is made by seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and moving. So the question is if contact is what enables us to self-actualize, why are we not making contact all the time? Gestalt has offered us five different, um, different ideas as to why we do not make contact, and uh, Gerald Corey refers to them as defense mechanisms or resistance to contact. The first is introjection, and this is the tendency to uncritically accept somebody else's beliefs and standards uh, without assimilating them to make them congruent with who we are. Joseph Burke suggests that an individual who interjects may not develop a very distinguishable personality, and as life goes on, may have major periods of emotional conflict 
in which differing ideas, initially accepted without evaluation, come in conflict with each other. In contrast to interjection, projection is the process by which we disown certain aspects of ourselves by ascribing them to the environment. In this situation, unacceptable needs or emotions and desires are attributed to others in the environment. By seeing in others the very qualities that we refuse to acknowledge in ourselves, we avoid taking responsibility for our own feelings and the person who we are. Now, what this does is it keeps us powerless to initiate change. A third way that we resist contact is through retroflexion. And retroflexion is a combination of interjection and projection. Initially, a person may blame, reject, or punish others for behaviors that she or he has actually projected onto them. But when this projection fails, however, the person redirects the blame, rejection, or punishment towards him or herself. In this situation, the I and the they merge to become we. Typical of retroflexion are statements like, I am ashamed of myself, or I have to force myself to do this job. A fourth way that we resist contact is through deflection. And this is the process of distraction so that it's difficult to maintain a sustained sense of contact. People who deflect attempt to diffuse contact through the overuse of humor, abstract generalizations, and questions rather than statements. And the final way that we resist contact is through confluence. And confluence involves a loss of boundaries between the person and the environment. The I and the they become indistinguishable. Although confluence is perfectly acceptable um, in our early lives, it's, it's problematic as adults. And um, Gestalt therapists might ask clients who are using confluence um, to resist contact, they might ask them, what are you doing right now? What are you experiencing at this moment? What do you want right now? These questions, um, they bring the client back into contact with the present environment. The goals of therapy in Gestalt are to attain awareness and through the awareness, greater choice. Awareness emerges within the context of the relationship between the client and the therapist. And it includes knowing the environment, knowing and accepting oneself, and, as we've been talking about, making contact. Through these therapeutic goals, the client recognizes uh, aspects of themselves that they have denied and works towards reintegrating all of the parts of themselves. Now, obviously, awareness and the need to be aware is core and central in Gestalt therapy. Without awareness, the client cannot possess the tools for personality change. But with awareness, they can become unified and whole. And when they stay with that awareness, important unfinished business will emerge, and they will be able to finish that unfinished business. The role of the therapist is to invite the client into an active partnership. Therapists encourage clients to attend to um, sensory awareness in the present moment 
And the therapist also works hard to create a climate where the client is likely to try new ways of behaving. And finally, the therapist really pays attention to the client's body language and other nonverbal cues. The role of the therapist is also to um, help the client to use uh, I statements. For example, clients will often use it or you in sentences rather than I. For example, it is hard to be honest. If a client says that, the Gestalt therapist would say, try saying that with an I statement. For example, I find it hard to be honest. You statements often refer to sort of a general them or they or you. It's something other than me. For example, a client might say, well, you know, when you're you're feeling really angry about something. The Gestalt therapist would say, well, turn that into an I statement. When I'm feeling angry about something. Uh, another example would be when a client says something um, in a question format. For example, doesn't anybody care about me? The therapist might say, well, turn that into a statement. And they might say, well, I want somebody to care about me. Or even more directly present, they might say, I want you to care about me. Another way that the therapist works with the client to address language and language issues is by listening to the client's metaphors and for listening to language that uncovers a story. Now, when I did family therapy, I often times found it very useful to listen to the metaphors that the parents used to describe the situations going on with the kid. For example, one time I had a father who was a truck driver, and although I'm sure he was not conscious of it, he really described his family situation in in driving metaphors. For example, he would say, well, I think it's going to be a long haul to solve this problem, or we have many miles to go before we can address this issue. Um, or I'm carrying a really heavy load with all that's going on right now. And so by picking up on these metaphors, I was able to talk with the dad in language that he could relate to. And I was able to bring it into the present moment and say, so, you, so you're feeling a really heavy load right now. Tell me where in your body you're feeling heavy. In a gestalt therapy situation, the client is an active participant in dialogue in the experience of the moment. And they're responsible for discovery, accommodating uh, the experiences, and assimilating what is going on in the therapy office with their life outside of the therapy office. We hope that they have new realizations about themselves, to recognize that they really do have a choice, and to encourage them to take responsibility for their actions and have influence over their environment. The relationship between the client and the therapist is person to person. Therapist experiences, awareness, awareness and perceptions provide the background to the therapy process. And the client's awareness and reactions constitute the foreground. So, for example, in the classic video, uh, or film, rather, of Fritz Perls doing therapy with Gloria... He starts out by noticing physical movements that she's doing. For example, kicking her foot, placing her hand upon her chest. His awareness of what's going on 
bring certain things from the background into the foreground. And then the client gets to experience what it is like to be present, to be fully aware of her feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. Now, there are a lot of techniques that Gestalt therapists use, but because the focus is on being in the moment and in present, Gestalt therapists really distinguish between exercises, which are preset ways of doing things, something that you might do with any client and you might plan in advance to do this particular thing with a client. And they they contrast exercises with experiments. Experiments being things that spontaneously occur in the relationship between the client and the therapist that capitalize on what's happening in the here and what's happening in the now. One of the techniques that is most closely associated with Fritz Perls that has fallen out of favor in contemporary Gestalt therapy is the technique of confrontation. In Perls approach, confrontation was used to really break down all of the resistances to contact, resulting in a cathartic experience. These days, um, that that type of confrontation is in some ways frowned upon as as possibly seen as uh, abusive behavior uh, or authoritarian behavior on the part of the therapist. In culturally competent practice, particularly in a situation where you have a white male therapist working with a client who is female and perhaps African-American or Latina, to use that type of confrontation can be to bring some of the oppressive structures, the patriarchal society, into the therapy room, um, actually bringing in some of the outside that has contributed to your client's problems, rather than providing a safe and nurturing environment in which your client can identify their own personal strengths, perhaps in the face of uh, systemic oppression um, and systems that uh, encourage power and privilege for some over others. This is not to say that confrontation or challenging of clients is something that you shouldn't do. In fact, once a uh, strong therapeutic alliance has been established, um, healthy and safe confrontation is perhaps one of the greatest benefits of being in a therapeutic relationship. One of the ways that I think about confrontation and one of the ways that I've talked with parents about ways to confront or challenge their kids is by thinking of a five-to-one ratio. That is, for every one time you confront or challenge your client, you want to make sure that you've made five positive or supportive statements. You can think about this in terms of an emotional bank account. You make a deposit in the emotional bank account every time you make a positive or supportive statement. This means that when you confront or challenge the client, there's something in that emotional bank account uh, for which you can withdraw. You can talk to parents about using the same technique when talking about timeouts and consequences. As long as the parents have been making deposits in their child's emotional bank account, saying positive things to them, encouraging them, then when they have to set limits and a withdrawal is made, there's something in the bank account to fall back on. One of the most important contributions of Gestalt are specific techniques or approaches to getting the client to be in the here and now. 
Some of these techniques include setting up a dialogue with a client and a significant person in his or her life. Uh, the classic way of doing this is the empty chair technique. If someone is experiencing a resentment towards somebody else in their life, the Gestalt therapist might say, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine the person uh, with whom you have the resentment. Imagine them in this empty chair in front of you. And I want you to talk to them and I want you to express to them the full extent of your resentment. The purpose of doing this is to bring the client into the here and now rather than talking about their resentment or about that other person. Another thing that uh, Gestalt therapists do, another technique that has really um, been found to be incredibly useful in a number of different situations, is when the therapist assumes the identity of a key figure in the client's uh, client's life and then does a role play. There's a great example of this in the movie Ordinary People, where the therapist, Judd Hirsch, um, takes on the role spontaneously of um, the brother, the older brother, um, to Timothy Hutton's uh, younger brother. And in the therapy office, they have this really emotional and passionate dialogue about what should or shouldn't have happened on the boat. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, uh, you'll recognize the the power of the gestalt technique to bring um, the client or to keep the client in the moment and to allow the therapist to stay with that moment rather than asking questions about what happened. Instead, the moment is existing in the room. For those of you who haven't seen the, the movie, the only thing I can say is go rent Ordinary People right now. It's a great movie. Another technique is um, exaggeration. And this is a technique that Gestalt therapists will use to help clients to um, exaggerate some movement that they're making. For example, it could be tapping of the foot. It could be rubbing their chest. It could be doing something that a client might not be aware of. But through exaggeration, what happens is that the client becomes aware of it and becomes aware of perhaps um, what these movements mean, what these bodily cues mean to them. Another uh, technique that um, therapists might use is is called making the rounds. And making the rounds is often used in a group setting. And this is when a person in a group uh, will approach another person in the group and speak or do something with each person in that group. And the purpose is to confront, to risk, to disclose the self, and to experiment with new behaviors and grow. For example, if you're running a group and a client says, well, I I have to be honest, I've been sitting here silently because I don't really trust the other members of the group. Making the rounds would then require the client to get up and go to each person in the group and say, I don't trust that you will be supportive of me because of X, Y, and Z. A variation of this is to say, is to have the client say, I don't feel safe in this room. I believe that you will think that I am stupid for sharing what I'm about to share. And then the therapist can intervene and say, 
you know, raise your hand if you think that uh, Joey is stupid. And in this way, there's uh, bringing the, the, the thoughts and the beliefs into the moment and getting actual um, feedback from the group members about what's happening. Uh, a final technique is staying with the feeling. And staying with the feeling is simply a way that Gestalt therapists keep clients in contact with what's going on. Uh, people, I think, tend to have a desire to escape unpleasant feelings, uh, particularly uh, in, in cases of addiction or codependency. There's a desire to escape the unpleasantness by doing something else. When the Gestalt therapist asks the client to stay with the feeling, what they're really doing is they are helping the client realize that the feeling itself is not going to hurt them. The feeling is just the feeling. It is it is where they are in the moment. It's what we do with the feelings. It's the stories that we make up about the past, about what that means for the future, that are ultimately problematic. Two other techniques that are often used by Gestalt therapists include rehearsal and reversal. Now, rehearsal technique is simply when the client takes some sort of internal dialogue, something that's going on inside of their mind, and brings it out into the open, speaks it. So, for example, if your client is perseverating over asking out a girl, then you would have the client rehearse what they would say to that girl out loud. By rehearsing, the clients become aware of the thoughts and the feelings that are associated with those words. Now, reversal is when a client um, acts in the opposite way of how they really are or how they think they are. So if you have a timid and shy client, using the reversal technique, they would act out as being bold and brash. Or if you have somebody that is um, overconfident who is loud and obnoxious, you would have them act um, very demure and almost wallflowerish. By by using the reversal technique, what the Gestalt therapist does is brings into awareness what it's like to act and behave in a different way. And in this way, the client is able to uh, develop a larger repertoire of, of behaviors and is able to make contact with the environment in new ways. The ideas and techniques of Gestalt therapy have most commonly been applied to group work, as we talked about with the uh, technique of making the rounds, as well as to um, individual therapy. Some of the major contributions of Gestalt are to take the client from intellectualizing or simply to talk about what's going on in their life and, and really to bring the client's reality into the session. Uh, Gestalt's emphasis on the here and now is a unique contribution. A lot of the techniques, uh, because they're experiential and are considered experiments, have great versatility and are able to be adapted to almost any client situation um, and almost any client problem, thus making some of these techniques almost um, uh, universally adopted regardless of the therapeutic um, approach. So, for example, the empty chair technique. The flexibility and um, adaptability of uh, Gestalt techniques 
is particularly useful, according to Gerald Corey, when working with uh, clients in cross-cultural situations. This is because they can be tailored to fit the unique way in which uh, your individual client perceives and interprets his or her culture. Corey also notes that gestalt techniques can be used to help bicultural clients integrate their thoughts, feelings, and actions. For example, Patricia Hill Collins talks about how African Americans grow up as bicultural, understanding how their culture and the dominant culture are similar and different in terms of thoughts, feelings, and actions. If you're working with, say, an older adult African American who's dealing with unfinished business related to prejudice and discrimination in his or her past, Gestalt would encourage the client to bring those experiences into the moment and to address them, possibly through an internal dialogue exercise, an empty chair technique, um, or even rehearsing what your client will say to someone the next time they make a racist, or it could be sexist, homophobic, or ageist comment. A final point that Corey makes about the value of gestalt therapy uh, in culturally competent practice is the emphasis on nonverbal content. Dominant culture tends to value verbal communication over nonverbal communication or places value on certain nonverbal communications such as direct eye contact and firm handshakes. Gestalt therapy is flexible in how those nonverbal communications are used in the session and can be interpreted through the lens of the client and through the client's cultural understanding. Now, there are a number of important limitations of Gestalt therapy. One of the most important is the potential for therapists to manipulate clients with some of the powerful methods that we've talked about in today's podcast. As mentioned earlier, the Gestalt therapist who uses intimidation and confrontation to break down the client risks being perceived as abusive and possibly risks traumatizing their clients. Although this confrontational approach to Gestalt has lost favor since Fritz Perls died in 1970, there is the risk that clients who are not trained in Gestalt therapy could falsely take these techniques and ideas and use them inappropriately. Another limitation is the emphasis on experiencing the here and now for clients for whom it is culturally inappropriate to express emotions, particularly around strangers. The techniques can be dangerous when working with clients who have histories of trauma and abuse, for whom experiencing unfinished business can, or can trigger overwhelming thoughts and emotions. Now, as with all therapies, a little information can be a dangerous thing. And so, appropriate training in Gestalt techniques and understanding when and how to use these techniques will prevent a therapist from possibly damaging their client and open the door to allowing the client to truly experience them themselves in ways that they're able to make contact with the environment and therefore experience the process of self-actualization. But at the same time, a final limitation of Gestalt therapy is that because Gestalt focuses on awareness in the moment and does not have a predetermined limit on the number of services that will be needed to achieve change, and specific behavioral change is, is a concept that is antithetical to Gestalt theory, uh, managed care really has a hard time knowing what to make of Gestalt treatment 
and is therefore wary of authorizing services. To sum up, Gestalt is an experiential therapy that uses experiments and specific techniques to bring the client into the here and now. Through the experience of the here and now, the client is able to make contact with their environment. Contact is a fleeting experience, but it is during contact that we are in the here and now and thus are in the process of self-actualizing. During the process of self-actualization, we are able to make changes. So as we end this podcast, I want you to take a deep breath and notice what you are experiencing right in this second. Now I want you to notice what you're experiencing in this second. The more you practice noticing, the easier it will be for you to be present with your clients and to help your clients to be present. Remember, the most important moment in a person's life is right now. So I'm Jonathan Singer. Thanks for being with me today for this episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode, visit our website at socialworkpodcast.com. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email me at jonathan at socialworkpodcast.com. And to all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you back here next time at the Social Work Podcast. Thank you.